Hello, and welcome to the sermons of Our Savior Lutheran Church in Fort Capel, Saskatchewan. I'm Pastor Joshua Kirkenback. Today's fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. Our gospel lesson comes from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 8th chapter. When Jesus got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? This is the word of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you, from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. After our Lord had healed the leper and the centurion's servant, many came to him to be healed, and they were. Then he sent them away to the other shore, opposite where they were on the Sea of Galilee. The people, not wanting to miss where Jesus was going, obeyed him. He, however, was delayed by a request of a potential follower, so that by the time Jesus and the disciples got into the boat, the crowds who followed him were most likely already safe on the other side. And so, with his stay in Capernaum finished, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. <clears throat> and so they began their way from Capernaum to the country of the Gergesenes. And as they went, behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. The Sea of Galilee, also known in the scriptures as the Lake of Tiberias and the Sea of Kinneret, is not much more than a great lake. At its greatest, it is 13 kilometers wide and 18 kilometers long. Many lakes in Saskatchewan are larger than it. However, because of its location, many feet below sea level with mountains to the north, there are frequently great storms with winds sweep down from the north. These storms were known to sink those who were caught in them, even those who were experienced sailors, such as many of Jesus' disciples who were the first fishermen. Thus, when this great storm arrives seemingly out of nowhere, the disciples are afraid. The wind violently assaulted their boat. The waves raged, crashing against the sides and overflowing them so that it was filling. Yet, through all of this, our Lord was sleeping soundly. At this time, when all seemed lost, the disciples turned to their Lord and are able to do what the wind and the waves were not. And they awaken him from his slumber with their cry, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. In response to their cry, Save us, Lord, we're perishing, our Lord responds, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Hear that carefully. They're not faithless, but of little faith. And we see this in their cry to their master, where both faith and lack of faith are mingled. They demonstrate their faith in the first half of their cry, Lord, save us for they knew that they could call upon their teacher and master. It requires faith to call upon the Lord Jesus at any time, including in time of need. Thus, in turning to Jesus when they are facing what seems like certain death, they show that they do indeed have faith in him. Yet they also lack faith, or to put it another way, their faith is little, it is small, it is mingled with doubt. This is demonstrated in the second half of their cry and their response to the storm. They had seen the Lord do great and many miracles, they knew that he loved them and cared for them and that he himself had chosen each and every one of them to be his disciples and followers. Yet, despite this, they did not take comfort in the presence of their Lord during the storm. 
they did not rest securely, trusting that he would keep them, even as he slept. So they were afraid. They were cowardly. So, too, in their cry, we are perishing. We see in their own words this doubt, this little faith, which was already demonstrated by their fear of death, their fear of perishing at sea while their master slept with a confident trust in his father. But our Lord does not berate them, even though he does exhort them and correct them. Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? It is as if he were saying to them, Why are you afraid? Did I not choose you? Did I not handpick you as my disciples? Did I not heal a multitude and deliver even your friends and relatives from death? While I also keep you, will I not also keep you and save you? Yes, fearful disciples, he will. And he immediately does so, in a way they were not expecting. They might have expected him to pray to his heavenly Father so that he would calm the storm or bring them safely to the other side. However, he does not do this. But instead, he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Normally, when the wind dies down, the waves continue for a while until they run out of momentum. But here at the words of Jesus, the wind and the waves become immediately still. What was once a raging storm is now a great calm. The disciples' words, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Show us that this is not what they expected when they called on him for help. For they knew that only God could calm the wind and the waves. For it is from him that these come in the first place. The Psalms declare this over and over, that God alone is the one who controls all the powers of nature. Psalm 107 says in the 25th verse, For the Lord commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves and the sea. And in Psalm 135 it says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from his storehouses. And in the Old Testament lesson, we heard how Jonah, when the lots fell on him as the cause of the storm, answered, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. As the creator of the sea and the dry land, the Lord God is the one who likewise has power over it. Yet here, the Lord Jesus commands the winds and the waves to be still, and they are. Thus, in this miracle, he proves his divinity to his disciples. And so, here we see our Lord's purpose in this miracle. His purpose in sending the crowds first, in allowing the storm to become so great, in having it meet them on their way, and in sleeping through so much of it before calming it with only a word. First, it was in order to prove his divinity to his disciples. He had already shown them many miracles that proved he was the Messiah, including turning water into wine and fulfilling the prophecies about the abundance of wine and the Messiah's coming. He had been casting out demons, healing the sick, teaching with authority, and so fulfilling the prophecies which pointed to his Messiahship and the signs of his coming. But now he wants to open, he wants to continue to deepen his disciples' faith and understanding of who he truly is by performing a miracle for them that proves he is not only a man, but that he is the God-man, the Son of God in human flesh, being both fully God and fully man. To do this, he does something that only God could do. In addition, by this miracle, he strengthens the disciples' faith. They are, as of yet, men of little faith, and he would have them be ready for all that they will endure as his disciples and his apostles, whom he will send out into the world to preach his gospel. He would have their faith be strong amidst all dangers to body and soul, and so he demonstrates to them his saving power and his power and authority over 
even the wild, untamable elements of nature. He demonstrates for them the faith that they're to have, a faith which calls upon him in all times of trouble, yet is confident in him that whatever comes about he will, will ultimately bring for their good, a faith which entrusts to him all our days and our burdens, trusting that whatever we face we know that the Lord Jesus, who has died to save us, who offered himself up as a sacrifice for our sins, will know what is best for us and keep us according to his will. That faith is what our Lord was wanting to cultivate in his disciples in this storm, and truly in all disciples. And so what do we take from this? First, we see how this applies to the whole church. From very early on, the Christian church has pictured herself as a ship at sea. This makes its way even to the naming of architecture in the church building. This part where we sit is called the nave, and it comes from the Latin word for a ship. This, com this comes from the picture of the church as a ship. And it's a very real miracle of Christ. This very real miracle of Christ helps us to see the sound reasoning in doing so, and helps us place ourselves in our life in the church in a way that grounds us in our dependence upon Christ. The church, which is the body of Christ, all those who have faith in him, could not on its own reach the shores of heaven. If we, the church, were just a social club of like-minded people meeting together, expecting to reach eternal life on our own, we would be as lost as the disciples if Christ were not with them in their boat. We would certainly perish, not only because we would still be lost in our sins and iniquities, but also because on our own the church would be rudderless, prone to heresy and false doctrine because she is still filled with those who have a sinful nature, and she would not survive the onslaught of the raging storm from Satan and the world who threatened to swell and overwhelm her with persecution, slander, and accusation of sin. Yes, without Christ as her head, the church would be a lifeless body. Without Christ as the pilot, steering and directing her, the church would not reach the safety of heaven. But brothers and sisters, Christ does guide her, lead her, and protect her. The Lord is always with his church as he promised. Behold, I am with you always. And we must always remember, especially at those times when it does seem as if the church will sink, when it seems as if she is perishing. For we see schisms, we see those called and appointed to the pastoral office scandalize congregations and the world by their sinful conduct and shameful actions which bring reproach to the name of Christ. We see heresy and false teaching celebrated in some places. We see increasing persecution, such as our dear brother in Finland, uh, Johannan Puyua, the bishop of our sister church. And we see our sister, Dr. Pava Iransanen, undergoing persecution in a country claiming to be Christian with its official religion. We see congregations shrinking, people abandoning and rejecting the faith, and seemingly little interest from what we once thought were Christian communities. Despite the storm which rages against the church, know that the Lord continues to guide and protect her, even if it appears as if he were sleeping. For the gates of hell will not prevail against Christ's church, for she is built on the rock of Christ. The raging storm that we see around us will not swell and overwhelm the church, for Christ pilots her. Even if it seems as if all is wrong, he is present with his church. He is present in the word, the word which is read and proclaimed, which the Spirit accompanies to create and sustain faith. Wherever the word is preached, Christ is at work, for the Holy Spirit is at work calling, creating, and sanctifying Christians 
so that the church will never be sunk. Our Lord Jesus is present in his Holy Supper, where he bids his Christians to come to him, even as they are downtrodden, bruised by the world and the storm assaulting them, knowing full well their unworthiness and sinfulness. He bids them come in repentance with faith in the forgiveness he gives, so that receiving his body and blood they may be strengthened in the faith and prepared to continue along in this journey towards eternal life. For though it is impossible for us on our own, he will bring his church safely to the harbor of heaven and the shores of eternal life. But we see how it applies to us, even as individual members of his body, the church. For while the church collectively as a body is assaulted on all sides, so too we, the members of Christ's body, walk in great dangers, even if we don't always know it. These dangers are both temporal and spiritual. They surround us so much at many times we may be accustomed to them, desensitized to them, thinking that they're not really dangers. Yet they're ever-present, and if it were not for God graciously upholding us, due to the frailty of our nature we would not be able to stand upright. Because of the frailness of our flesh, we're in danger from illness and disease, and from the general brokenness of our fallen flesh, which degrades as we age. We face danger from the powers of nature. Even with all our modern technology, all it takes is for a prolonged power outage in the middle of winter, or we caught outside in a summer storm without shelter to see this. Even our psyche faces danger as whatever the cause, whether from how our society has changed, or from chemical imbalances, or a combination of all, we see more and more mental health issues across the nation and within our own communities. Then there are great spiritual dangers, the prevalence of false doctrine, which is sometimes dressed up in a nice way, uh, making it difficult to spot if we're not carefully surrounded by pure, true teaching, that we may take in this false doctrine without notice or care. And since we live in our culture and society, and we are likewise faced with accepting its values and beliefs over those which are in the scriptures, if we're not familiar enough with them, then there are those temptations to sin, both those which our flesh lures us to, but also those from without. If not for the grace of God, we could not stand. For he has promised us many great and glorious promises, which we can trust concerning his care for us, his love and his protection. Regarding God's care for us, whom he sent his only Son to die for, that we might have eternal life with him, our Savior said, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. We know his great love because he did not spare his only son, but gave him as an offering for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, the sinless for the sinful, that we might become his children by faith. He has also promised to always grant us a way out of temptation. As St. Paul has written to the church in Corinth, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will always provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What a sweet and glorious promise our Lord has given us in his word. And due to the weakness of our flesh, the Lord likewise promises to forgive our sins when we return to him with repentant faith. For God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He is faithful to his promises. 
And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, because of his great promises, the greatest of which includes the forgiveness of sins and justification by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, let us call upon his name in faith at all times, good and ill, calling upon him in praise and thanksgiving in times that are good, but also in times of trouble and fear. In the large catechism, Dr. Luther talks about the importance of teaching children to properly use God's name, but his advice is equally applicable to adults. He says it's good to teach the children that when they are afraid or surprised, to bless themselves with the sign of the cross and call on God with something like, Lord God, save us, or help us, Lord Jesus. Likewise, when met with good fortune, to do the same. But instead of crying for help, they should bless themselves with the sign of the cross and bless and thank God, saying, God be praised and thanked, or the Lord has given this to me. Thus at all times, good or bad, our faith in God is put to action as we call upon him like the disciples while in the boat, crying, Save us, Lord. Let us then always exercise this faith, this gift so highly prized, given by God's grace that we might trust him, so that no matter the circumstance, because we trust in Christ for our eternal salvation, and because of his great promises to us, that we always trust in him to bring us to his Father into life everlasting in the world to come. In all times of danger, brothers and sisters, let us call upon him to help. In all times of temptation, let us call upon him to save. In all times, let us give thanks and praise to him who sent his Son to save us. He is mighty, having dominion over the wind and the waves and all creation. Yet he is compassionate, and he loves us with a great and personal love, so much as to call us to his Son through the Holy Spirit, that we may live with him eternally. God grant this to us all. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.